Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. Amen. Father, we thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your word. As we open up scripture this morning, would you speak? Would you speak to us individually, but also collectively as a church? Would you set us on a course once again to pursue all the things that's our inheritance, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Can we give our worship team a hand this morning? Beautiful. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1, so you can grab your Bibles and get to that. Um, the title of today's message is called A City of God. As I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, we've only got a few um, opportunities to speak to us um, for the rest of um, this year. So what I've been wanting to do is actually to set a tone and actually set us in a direction so that we are actually ready for um, stepping into 2020. Three, and I um, hope that um, I've been able to do that faithfully. If you missed a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about barrenness. What a great message that was. Barrenness. New Spring Church is barren, and it's an exciting place to be. So if you missed that, make sure you go back and listen to it um, via our podcast or um, on the YouTube channel. And um, show me a lot of grace. It's been a big week, so I, I am a little bit tired. But you guys are okay with that? Yeah? All right. A couple of weeks ago, about three weeks ago, got to hang out with um, just some of our um, key leaders in the church and um, we were doing a leadership night and for some reason um, something came up and for some reason in the course of the night I started riffing about Nehemiah. And um, it was kind of odd because I haven't really thought too much about Nehemiah in a good five years or so. And um, <clears throat> I know like um, over the last 10 years I've done two series in Nehemiah, but other than that it's like, where did Nehemiah come from? So I was riffing about Nehemiah and... We came to the end of the, um, the, the, the leadership night and um, everyone went away and I was here. I was just pottering around, just trying to make sure um, things were tidy and the room was still okay for like all to one the next day and, and um, putting away all, all the stuff. And um, a, a, as I'm just kind of pottering away, like that night, just in this lonely big building, um, there's lots of odd sounds in, the, in this building, by the way. Um, I'm just like going about my own business, so um, I'm just walking around the corridor and God starts speaking to me. He says, so what if Nehemiah didn't go, Dave? And I'm like, what? Like, I completely forgotten the, 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 like, like, what we're talking about. He's like picking up the conversation from like half an hour ago. What if, what if Nehemiah didn't go? And um, I, I'm very rational in my thinking. So, so I, I say, well, if Nehemiah didn't go, obviously, I mean, you would have sent someone else, right? Because that's how we think, right? Like, if you don't send this person, God, you'll just send someone else. And I missed the whole point of the conversation um, that God was wanting to have with me. Um, I'm so rational. Anyone else like that? So someone else would go, God. If he didn't go, fine. There was this underlying question um, that's been resonating with me. And the question is, like, why exactly did Nehemiah go? You know, it's one thing to say, well, if Nehemiah didn't go, someone else would have gone. But why did he, why did he go, if you're familiar with the story of Nehemiah? We're going to read the first five um, verses for now um, from Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles, read along with me. The scriptures will be up on the screen. 
from verse 1. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hekeliah, in the late autumn, in the month of Kislev. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was in the fortress of Susa. Hannah and I, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fastened, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obeys his commands. Why did Nehemiah go? What an interesting way to start a memoir. Well, this whole story starts with this idea of Awareness. I think what's quite, so, quite striking in this story is that the introduction of Nehemiah actually shows us that Nehemiah is positioned in a certain place before the story really unfolds and really gets its momentum going. Where is he positioned? We actually find his position in verse 11 of chapter 1, which reads like this. Lord, please hear my prayer. I listen to my prayers of those of us who delight in honouring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favourable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah was positioned in a very specific place. He was in close proximity to the king. Um, the only thing that could really go bad is if... Um, the, the, the king was actually given some poison drink or poison food because his job was to actually taste um, the food and the drink before um, the king ate it. So you can imagine everyone else is eating some food, you know. They're out there getting mackers and all that. What do you reckon the king's eating? Mate, he ain't no, having no chicken nuggets. You know what I'm saying? So, so he's over there and he actually gets to taste the finest of food, the finest of wine. And because he is right next to the king, he's actually in the safest possible place as well, isn't he? You know, I mean, if someone comes and lunges at the king, I mean, you've got your whole security over there. We find Nehemiah in this position, in this point, where he is literally cut off from everything else that is happening in the world because of his location. He's right there beside the king. He has no idea, he has no awareness of what is happening outside of that place. He was completely unaware and he was going about his daily routine. He's going about business. And then on one day, one specific day, God plants something in his heart that would actually grow to be this renewal. And it started by Nehemiah becoming aware of something he was previously unaware of. It starts with awareness. Verse 4, when I heard this, when he heard this, up until the point he heard this, he was just going about business. But when he heard this, something changed. When he heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned. I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. When I heard this, 
Have you ever met someone who genuinely has committed their life to prayer and fasting and to the service of God? I ain't talking about someone who, who puts up stuff on social media and bangs around and makes a big thing because they just want to start self-promoting themselves. I'm talking about have you encountered someone who's living the life and they have committed their life to prayer, to fast? Have you ever met someone like that? Have you ever met someone like that? They're really, really intriguing, eh? If you meet someone in your life, if you see, man, you are living in a different way, you are running in a different direction, it seems like things may even come against you, but you keep on getting up and you keep on going on. They are really intriguing people, aren't they? You know the question you should be asking those kind of people? What have you heard? What have you heard? Because there's a reason why people like they get apprehended by God. What have you heard? What have you heard that I am currently unaware of? That's a really good question. It's a question of curiosity, isn't it? It's also a question of invitation. You know, I, I, I get a little bit frustrated because, um, you, you know what some like, people are like. They, like? they get some information and then like, they build themselves up and... Um, I find, it, like, I find it intriguing how you can have some Christians and they almost like stand over other Christians. Um, like, like is, have you ever met anyone like that? Like, we, we, we try not to be like that here. But if you actually have an, a curiosity and intrigue and like, someone's running in a direction and you ask the question, what have you heard? That question opens up the door of invitation for you to actually come and join and actually run as well. But what have you heard? Newspring, what have you heard? Have you heard anything? Would you say to yourself, you know what, Dave, I'm in this pretty safe place at the moment. I'm, I, may, I maybe don't have a king or anything, but you know what, there's a lot of safety right now. I can see other people running off here, running off there, running off there, running off there. They've obviously heard something which I haven't heard. That's okay. Because in any given day, in any given moment, God comes and he makes us aware of something that we were otherly, otherwise unaware of. See, I find it really reassuring that God initiates all of this. You know, I have no problem actually being in this place. I'm currently in this location. I'm just going about business. I'm trying to be faithful. And on any given day, God drops something in my heart or God opens up my eyes or God brings someone into my proximity who makes me aware of something which I was other, otherwise unaware of. And suddenly I'm gripped. That is awesome. That is awesome. It is my prayer of the next coming months that you are going to be gripped and that God is going to be dropping things in your heart. You're going to be rubbing shoulders with people and in humility and in compassion and walking alongside by each other. You can say, wow, wait a minute. I've just heard something. Aslan's on the move. God initiates all this. What have you heard? And God's initiation begins with awareness. Nehemiah says that when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. You meet a man or woman of prayer, they've heard something. They've heard something. And wisdom would say, if you meet someone like that, grab a coffee. What have you heard? What have you heard? Chitty, have you heard something? Yeah? What have you heard? 
Tracy, have you heard something? You've heard many things. What did he hear? Well, verse 3 fills us in. Verse 3, Nehemiah says this. They said to me, the things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. This entire book is built upon the information that is brought forward in this verse. What's happened? There's trouble and there's disgrace. Why has this happened? Because the wall is broken and the, great, and the gates are burned. This is the reason why Nehemiah went. What? There's trouble, there's disgrace. Why? The gates are burned down. The wall is broken. Why was this significant? Why was this significant? Why, why, why Nehemiah? Why did you go, Nehemiah? Why was this significant? Well, number one, trouble. There was trouble because without walls, the cities, without walls, a city could not control its own affairs. Without walls, a city would be dictated to by outside influences, by outside forces. Without walls, without gates, a city would be at the mercy of any band or any group who was coming through the area. That's why there's trouble. That's why you need walls. Because without walls, without gates, outside influences start dictating terms to you. Right? None of us really like it when we have terms dictated to us, do we? Proverbs 25 verse 28 says this. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man or woman who lacks self-control. The ability to control yourself, the ability to lead yourself um, is so, so important. Because there are so many things that control us. There's so many things that dictate terms to us. I could rattle off a couple of things. What about time? Does time dictate terms? You betcha. Time does. Tells us where to go, what to do. Attention. At the moment, attention is something else, isn't it? To, to, to actually think that there is a monetarized economy called the attention economy, which for a large portion of time we were kind of unaware of, yet it is gaining momentum and really, um, really effective, which is why distraction is such an intentional thing in the world right now. So we are all in an economy of attention. Attention really does dictate terms. How's your attention going? Could you, could, you, could, you go, could, you, could you pay attention if I went for like, like, I don't know, two hours? I'd never do that to you. On purpose, anyway. <laughs> no. Unbridled passions control us, don't they? Don't they? They do. The stuff that lurks, the stuff that raises its head. Envy, anger, lust, greed. There are things that kind of lurk. And if we don't have self-control, they can start dictating terms to us, really, can't they? What about money? Money, man, money's, money's. Oh, what did Jesus say? You can only serve God or mammon. We went through that in the Sermon on the Mount. Money really does. I think it's interesting that living in this culture, which um, 
really elevates and champions individuality so much, it's astonishing how much lack of self-control we actually do have. Don't you find that a little bit ironic? You know, we got, we're in this culture where it's all about individual rights, and I'm an individual, yet we don't champion the idea or the discipline of actually having self-control, self-discipline. I think that's very, very ironic in the world. Because like a city whose walls are broken down is a man or woman who lacks self-control. The beautiful thing, of course, is that we're living in this age, we're living in this world, and as a church, we are supposed to live in a different way, aren't we? Ephesians 3 verse 10 says that God's purpose was to use the church to demonstrate his manifold wisdom to the principalities and powers of this world. So, so there is a responsibility and there is a privilege and opportunity that as the world is living a certain way, we are here smack bang, lot five, center road, gathered as the family of God and we are demonstrating a different way to live. So if we're living in a world, if we're living in a culture where there's this elevation of, of individuality, but ironically, there's no self-control around the place and people are being dictated to by influences outside of themselves, guess what? We can actually live and operate a different way if we build the walls of self-control. Individually, but how much more important even as a church to actually have those walls built. And self-control is like an issue for um, all of us, isn't it? But we get the opportunity by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to actually live in a different way. And the way that we are supposed to live, which is different, is rehearsing over and over again the victory of God by gathering together over and over and over and over and over again. Last Sunday night, coming together, like taking the time out of a Sunday and just saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to eat. Have you ever thought to yourself, maybe like, wait, wait, wait a minute, Dave, are you saying to me, are you saying to me, that self-control for me would be to actually section out a time of the week and come and sit and eat. That's pretty good self-control, isn't it? Man, there were a lot of self-controlled people here last Sunday night. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's gathering together over and over again. It's not gathering together once. It's gathering over and over again. It's rehearsing the family of God over and over and over again. It takes self-control to do that. To empty ourselves for others. You know, not for our own benefit. Like every week, I think that um, like we, we have our team over here and every week they rock up. What are they doing? They are emptying themselves for others. As, as members of the team, they understand and they recognize that they're not by themselves. It's not about them. If they're absent, everyone else misses out, don't they? Don't they, Imogen? You know? <laughs> but they all rock up and as they rock up, they actually empty themselves for each other and then ultimately for the church. It's like pouring out. But that's what it means to actually rehearse the victory of God, that, that we're actually living in a different way. Well, while the rest of the world wants to fill ourselves up, we're saying, actually, I'm going to live in a different way. And instead of living in a way that's going to fill me up, I'm going to live in a way that pours me out. Because if you want to gain your life, you're going to lose your life. And everyone wants life, don't they? But the road to actually life is actually self-emptying, pouring ourselves out. This idea of welcoming people in, the idea of generosity, of hospitality, foregoing personal advantage for the sake of others. This is what it means to rehearse over and over and over again. 
And when we talk about the church, when we talk about what God is doing, self-discipline and self-control comes in that we actually avoid the track of sabotaging what God's actually wanting to do as well. Because people be people. I'm a person, right? You know, I'm thinking, I start doing things like, oh man, I just sabotage the work of Christ. What he wants to do in this community, what he wants to do in this family. Um, but being self-controlled means that we actually live in a different way. So personally, is your life without walls? I'm not too sure. Um, only you can answer that. What about your family? Um, is your family without walls? Have you been in places this year or, you know, this week where um, you've actually either intentionally or unintentionally been ripping down walls instead of building them up? Um, because there are times when we all rip them down, we're people. But then when we come to our senses, we say, oh, my goodness, I need to build that back up again. Because without walls, Nehemiah lets us know, without walls, there's trouble. There's trouble. There is trouble because the walls are broken. And the simple antidote to this is very, very simple. It's called discipline. It's called self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 again, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man or woman who lacks self-control. You know the problem with like self-control? I can't actually give a sermon on self-control. You can't do it. It's impossible to do it. Because self-control is actually my responsibility and your responsibility. You know, if it was possible for Andrea to do Dave control, that would be awesome. It's just not possible. Only Dave can do Dave control, Andrea can do Andrea control. You know, I'm sure Nigel, some of those students, you'd love to do some student control. Yeah? <laughs> you can't do a sermon on it. It's personal responsibility. Yeah? Is your life without walls? You're in trouble. Is your family without walls? There's trouble. Start building walls up. Stop ripping them down. And how do you do that? Self-control discipline. Second thing is Disgrace. This is disgrace because every city, well, there was, a, there was a, um, an acknowledgement of all the peoples in this time and period that every city had their own God, had their own deity. Which meant that the extent to which the city's walls were up and strong and that there was protection that those walls provided, that the extent of the strength of those walls was a testimony to the strength of that city's God. You can imagine, you got Jerusalem banging on about Yahweh. Yet the gates are burnt down, the walls are broken. You can see all the surrounding people looking at your walls saying, what are you talking? You're saying Yahweh, like your God is the God. Like, Look at it, but your, your God can't even like, like protect you right now. Your walls aren't actually up. You're not protected. And any given time we can come, we can do whatever we want. What kind of testimony is that to your God. See, that's why there was disgrace. Because the walls bore testimony to that city's God. That's why there was disgrace. So there was trouble, but there was also disgrace. What did it say of the great Yahweh? Other people mocking, other people ridiculing God. What if Nehemiah didn't go? What if Nehemiah didn't go? What an in Interesting question. Well, I don't know, actually, because that didn't happen. But Nehemiah did go. He did go. And we have the story recorded for us. 
And as Nehemiah went, Nehemiah leads a nation to rebuild the walls. And then we um, find another um, character in the book of Ezra in the same period that not only are the walls rebuilt, but Ezra helps the people rediscover the scriptures of their God. And there is joy and there's delight. Could you imagine the promises of God, the instruction of God, the beautiful instruction, Torah, that's been lost. And all of a sudden, you as the people of God, suddenly it has opened up to you once again. Could you imagine the joy? Wow, what a story. What a story. Walls are rebuilt. Scripture is front and center. Story of God, the promises of God are known. There is joy. They are understood. So what now? What now? I think that's a great question. If the purpose and the point was to rebuild the walls, and as you're rebuilding the walls, trouble's no longer there. The disgrace is moving away. But as you're rebuilding the walls, Scripture is rediscovered once again and becomes front and center. And once again, you are introduced to your amazing God, to promises of God, and you find your place in the story of what, what now? What now? Is there anything else? Isn't that a good question? For the 25th of September, 2022. Not for thousands of years ago. Isn't that a great question for right here? What now? Walls are, walls are rebuilt. Scripture's understood. What now? Our church is 55 years old. How about that? She's a bit of an old girl, isn't she? She hasn't seen her best days yet, though. She's a beauty. Do you reckon? I don't think we're in a place where we're trying to rebuild walls. There might be times when we rip some walls down, but that's okay. We can build them back up again. That's okay. I'm okay with that. I, honestly, I'm okay with that because we're all human. You know what I'm saying? We've been through this really intentional season and um, I know I've certainly felt driven by God in this where there has been this real emphasis and this real focus of getting the story of God and actually bringing that front and centre and making it accessible to everyone. Making it accessible. Making it understandable. You know? Not just like going through your Bible reading plan and memorizing this and memorizing that, you know, memorizing that. I remember listening to Rick Watts. He said, like, we're a bunch of like theological chooks. We go like, you know how chooks go and feed up, feed there and feed there and feed there and feed there. Have no understanding how it gets put back together. But we spent four years of putting this story back together and finding our place in the story of God. Walls are rebuilt. 10, 11 years ago, you would have walked into this place and asked churches all around. Yes, there was definitely disgrace. It was trouble. We ain't in that place anymore. By the grace of God, we've got a great reputation. We've got a reputation that serves. We've got a re reputation of hospitality. We've got a reputation of generosity. We've got a reputation where we take the hit on behalf of other people. We're not building any walls anymore. And scripture is front and center. So what now? 
What a great question. I mean, I'm like what now? I mean, what we could do, let's just rip this sucker apart, have it all like fall to the ground, and then we rebuild again. I mean, we could do that. But I don't want to. That just seems very, very traumatic to me. What was the point of Nehemiah going so that the city walls are rebuilt? And what was the point of God orchestrating things so scripture is once again brought to be the center? Well, the point, whether or not they got there, but the point was that Jerusalem would be the city of Yahweh, the city of God. I mean, surely there's got to be some people in this church and you're like getting a little bit tired of hearing about things. When God's going to do this, when God's going to do that. The point, the purpose was to rebuild the walls, bring scripture in so that the people of God would understand who they are, the presence of God would be rich so that that place would be the city of Yahweh. An open door where heaven and earth intersect. An open door where the nations come, where God can finally reclaim what is rightfully his. He wants to be his people to be a blessing to all the nations. So what now? People hang around this church for a long time. There have been a few people, you, you, you've been here longer than me. There have been some people over the last 10 years and like you've been working hard. But what now? What now? What do you want to be, New Spring Church? Aren't you curious to actually see if this gospel has the power it professes to have? Or are you happy just rocking up and having Dave bang on and preach good, good sermons? Because I preach good sermons. I know that. I'm not content to preach good sermons. If this gospel is real, if it is possible to be these resurrection life people, right here, right now, if it is possible to serve this generation and after I've served this generation like David, I, being another David, I'm going to rest and, and that's fine. If it is possible, don't you want to find out? I mean, like, since the walls are built, foundation strong, scripture is rich, so what now? What do you want to be, New Spring? Are we going to be disciplined and not rip things apart? I started off um, earlier on, I was asking that question what have you heard? What have you heard? What have you heard? One thing, one thing that I'm looking forward to is actually disappearing for about um, three months or so and then reappearing again. Because I think it just naturally happens. It happens in our house. Like my voice and Andrew's voice is like white noise to the kids. <laughs> clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. It is still a disaster. <laughs> no, they're doing well. Um, you guys can become very, very familiar 
We can all, we can all do that. Over the last um, year, well, 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 definitely since that team night, um, I've been trying to articulate and communicate what I've heard. But familiarity means that people aren't necessarily hearing what I'm saying. What have you heard, Dave? There is a dawn of a new season beginning. Andrew and I, we sat here with our team and I said, February 1, 2023 is day one of a brand new season. The tools of yesterday are not sufficient for the tasks of tomorrow. I don't like that, but that's what I've heard. We are in the process of shedding old, new, old wineskins because we need to put on new wineskins, which means there's new wine. It's been interesting. There's just been moments, just little drops, just little moments. And you might think I'm a weirdo or anything, but it's just, it just been little moments where I've just caught the aroma of something new. It's like, throughout my life, even as a young, a young kid, I remember I would, I, would, I would pick this aroma. I didn't know what it was when I was young. I've come to learn. Um, that's one of the ways God talks to me. You know, maybe I like smelling good things. I don't know. But there's been moments over this last little while and I've just had to stop and it's like, that smells good. Because there's new wine. There's new. There's something new. It's a new season. What have you heard, Dave? This is not an issue of me not telling you. Come February 1, we will all experience it. What I've been um, saying to us that in this time, because it's odd, it, it, it's weird, I get that. No one la- likes ambiguity, you know. But when you're in this place where one season's coming to an end and there's a commencement of something new, that's a really ambiguous place to be, right? Really ambiguous. No one likes ambiguity. But what I've been saying to us as a church is that while we are waiting for this new thing to begin, let's not be passive. In fact, let's get ready for it. Let's anticipate it. Let's allow God to interrupt us with news of what he is saying. Come along other people. I mean, if you haven't heard yet, right, There is enough people around here and there is genuine anticipation and there's genuine excitement. There's others who don't have it, all right? Find the ones who are genuinely excited because they've heard something. They've heard something. Have a conversation. Have a coffee. Start dreaming. Start reimagining again because there is new wine. And even before that new wine is being poured out, there is an aroma which is wafting through the place if you can get it. But that's a big so what for us. Walls are built. Absolutely. Well done. You did good. Got to be honest. We weren't sure if we'd get there. 
No, Aaron and Trevor, you've been there for the whole lot. There's some hairy times. Foundations laid. Scriptures front and center. Maybe God wants to pour something new out. And we preach about it, we sing about it. Imagine instead of singing about it, and you know how your emotions can get in it as well? Like you sing about it and you start imagining and all that. Imagine if we can sing about it and touch it at the same time. Wow. That would be amazing. Well, I think that's where God wants to take us. And um, like I'm saying, I'm using these couple of messages to try and set a tone, to set a trajectory, to get you ready, to not be passive. Like I said before, nothing would make me happier that when Andrew and I rock up, you guys have like just said, you know what, Dave said do whatever we want, we did that. <laughs> and if I'm looking around and saying, you guys can look at me and say, you know what, Dave, you said it. It's like, yeah, I did. How about we have a bit of fun? Take the opportunity. Expand. Imagine. Recreate. And quite possibly, and I would dare say probably, this little plot here, where every time we gather, it will become the city of God, where people will come in and go out. They will encounter Jesus. Their lives will flourish. Their lives will be healed. There's going to be a lot of mess, but we can deal with mess. We deal with each other. We're really messy. Right? And opportunities will open. Amen. Well, I'm going to pray. And um, I have a sense that you're probably going to be thinking about that stuff for a while. So that's good. Father, thank you for your beautiful church. I want to thank you for your faithfulness. I want to thank you for your faithfulness to this church of 55 years. I want to thank you for your faithfulness upon myself and Andrew as we've led this place. I thank you for the times that you've covered us. I thank you for the times where you've done things in spite of us. I thank you for the moments where you've honoured us. And Father, I pray that as we are in this transition period, that you will continue to undull our ears. I pray that the sleep of the last two years, whether we call it COVID or whatever, that there will be a wiping of the sleep from our eyes and that we would suddenly be aware, oh my goodness, the walls are already built, scripture's already rich, So what now? What now? Come Holy Spirit and lead your church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.